Hello and welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. I'm Tony Clark, your host, and today I've got the pleasure of having Mr. and Mrs. Andy George on the program, and they have a band called Sweet Invention. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Now, I let's start with the ladies first. Let's start with Pamela. Now, Pamela is an accomplished musician with degrees in music composition, and she has a great experience in teaching, arranging, and orchestration. She also has a wonderful singing voice, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. She also plays guitar very well. Pamela was also a key person in the Cal Prague Concert Promotion Organization. She has been a production manager for many great shows in Southern California. Now let's go to Randy. Randy George is an accomplished musician who is best known for his work as bassist and founding member with the Neil Morse Band, an internationally acclaimed progressive rock band on Sony's Inside Out Records. Randy has recorded and toured worldwide on a regular basis with the Neil Morse Band for 18 years, and I'll say that again, for 18 years, uh, and is very well known in progressive rock circles. So Randy is also an accomplished on keyboards and also the guitar. In addition, as I, I said previously, uh, they both have extensive resumes, and they perform in a band together named Sweet Invention. But Pamela and Randy George, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for well, having thanks us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure on my end. But, guys, I mentioned your, your band, Sweet Invention. Tell me a little bit about that. How did you start the band, Sweet Invention? Well, I think it was really just a matter of developing some ideas. I, I had some musical ideas laying around. And we wanted to do something together and she started just uh, vocalizing to some of the musical pieces that I had laying around. And the more she did it, you know, the more it, it just sounded really great. It just seemed to be a great vibe. And so we, we started fleshing out the songs with uh, vocalizations at first. Uh, and then, she, then Pam, Pamela wrote a lot of the lyrics and we sorted through a lot of them together and, and just uh, fine-tuned it to what it is. And, so, uh, Pamela, I've got to ask, what's it like working with, with, your, with your husband and, and, and sharing a love of music? Because a lot of couples, they, they, they love each other dearly, but they don't have the same interests. And I'm just curious, Randy and, and Pamela as well, what's it like having a partner that has the same love for music that you do? It's a complete gift from God. I mean, we're just blessed and um, it's, you know, it, we're one when we're playing. It's it's really amazing. And it's, um, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but it's just a very natural uh, pairing musically. What about you, Randy? What, what's it like working with your wife and something that you love to do? Well, it could be any number of things. But like she said, you know, we uh, we just seem to connect on all levels. So, um, I mean, you know, as musicians, we can both be temperamental. That just goes with the territory. <laughs> but it's not like, you know, it's not like we're bliss zombies sitting around, you know, we, we, we have to, we have to battle it out sometimes, but, um, I bet, you know, any musical writing partnership can be like that. Um, you just, you know, musicians are musicians and you, uh, you know, you just, 
you kind of have to, it goes with the territory. So, you know, you just, you don't really get too hung up on any of that. You just try to keep focused on what you're trying to do together. And when you get to the end, you sit back and you go, look, wow. And, uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and and you guys, and I'm sorry, Randy, there was a delay there. I apologize. Go ahead. Oh, that's right. Um, you know, we we also play live together, and uh, I think there's uh, an attraction there uh, for people. I, I certainly in in this in these here parts, uh, I think people find couples that perform together like that, I think they really enjoy that. And we do it, you know, musically on a on a pretty polished professional level. So a lot of times, you know, people go in expecting to see music, you know, which is basically just background music, somebody singing country songs or folk songs and, and all that's great. They're good players and performers, but uh, her and I have a little bit more of a composed performance that maybe seems a little more like a concert. Um, so we both kind of have that same level of work ethic and trying to produce the end result. There's no, uh, well, we just, we don't compromise. We try not to compromise. We, we try to take what we are doing as far as we can and the best we can. Well, it's certainly... Uh... It's certainly good to love what you do, but it's a different thing to be very good at what you love to do. And both of you guys are very, very uh, proficient in the in the music world. And you can see that in the videos that you guys have produced and, and playing live as well. I've seen some of that. So props to you guys. You can certainly back it up. And, and I, I really enjoyed watching your videos and listening to your music over the past couple of days. And you guys do covers from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I want you to talk about that a little bit. Um, one of the videos that you have up is by a band called 10CC, The Things We Do for Love. Tell me about this. What made you decide to cover that song? Well, <laughs> you know, every cover has its story. Um, and the story behind that song actually starts when we uh, did the Ventura Highway video that we have up there. During COVID. During the COVID, during the pandemic. Oh, wow. Well, we put, we put the, the Ventura Highway thing up before, um, I think. Oh, yeah. Before the pandemic. No, it was during. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly. But mm-hmm. the, the singer that we used on that, um, you know, after we did the Ventura Highway thing, uh, the singer we used on that was a local, a local guy who plays around here locally, and he's a guitarist from Whiskey Dog, so he's been, you know, doing gigs and in, in LA and whatnot. And um, yeah, so he kind of came to us after we had done that, the Ventura Highway video, and said, "You know, I'd love to do another video with you guys. Um, I want to do the things we do for love." And uh, I'm like, "Okay." Okay, so we we put it together, and it's all ready, for, and all we need is the lead vocal. Pam and I put together the background harmonies. We put together, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, my friend Jason Gianni did the drums uh, for us. He lives in New Jersey. Um, so here we are ready for, for lead vocals, and 
and this was late in 2020, and unfortunately the singer got COVID and ended up hospitalized a couple of months. He, uh, he was, got hit at the worst time with the worst wave. And, sure. uh, you know, a couple of months go by, he survived it, but his voice was slow and coming back. Uh, I think we waited about a year, and we tried it a couple of different times, but he just couldn't hit the notes anymore. Uh, so it was a little bit bittersweet, but he finally just said, you know, if you've got somebody who can do it, you should finish it with somebody. I just don't think I'm going to be able to, to, to do the quality of, you know, work that I want to do on it. And, uh, I, we finally said, okay. So, so I got, uh, Ted Leonard and he was uh, willing to take a shot at it. Um, so he's the one that ended up singing it. That's that's kind of the story behind that one. So it actually came out. It was a pandemic video that came out like maybe a year after that whole period. So, well, it's it's definitely very very. It's a it's an excellent cover. And uh, so you guys you guys also cover some other music as well, like everything ranging from Tears for Fears to the Monkeys to the Police. Mm-hmm. And and Pamela, in in your opinion, uh, what why do you cover some of these songs? Tell me about some of these songs that um, you sing so great on. Uh, I, I think one of the songs that you, you were singing on was King of Pain. I've always loved that song, even, you know, even when the, the album came back out in the early 80s. But tell me about King of Pain. Um, what What's your love for that song in order to cover that song? Well, that was one of the first covers we were putting together. Um, we started off... Um, just playing acoustic guitar covers for this little music in the park thing up in a neighboring town called Superior, Arizona. And that kind of started growing. They said, well, can you come and do the Prickly Pear Festival? So we put some more songs together and pretty soon we were getting a decent set. And King of Pain was one of those songs and it worked really well for us. It was a lot of fun to play. You know, it's always still, you know, great to play that song. We just love covering uh, Sting and the police, and we do quite a few police songs. It's not something other acoustic duos in the area are likely to play. I think we focused in on songs you weren't going to see other people do. We wanted, but yet the song is still a hit song, and King of Pain is a great example of that. It's, a, it's mostly keyboards, and, you know, the guitar is very electric and effects, and, and it's, a, it's a very minimalistic song, but we just adapt it to, keyboard, uh, to acoustic guitars. Uh, the idea being, though, you know, you come see us, you'll see a lot of material. You would not see other acoustic duos in the area doing. And, of course, that's primarily down here in, in Arizona. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of country, a lot of folk. And mm-hmm. uh, like blues, and that's, they really love that stuff. But when they hear these songs, I think they're just shocked that anybody's playing them at all, <laughs> you know. And that we take such a composed approach to the way we perform them. We try to encapsulate all the elements that makes the song memorable to people. The keyboard player from the Moody Blues once said, "People hang their memories on the shape of sound." Oh, wow. So. You know, you remember a song as much for the little melody that follows the chorus as you do 
for the words or for the hook line. People don't process that, uh, you know, normally or consciously. Maybe musicians do, but normal people don't even think that way. They just remember the song. They just remember they like the song. So we're just trying to give them as much of uh, what they remember hearing in the song. Plus, a lot of these songs only work if you can put all the parts together. So, Well, you guys do a, a tremendous job doing that with just you two, and I, I, I give you props for that. But let me ask Pamela and, and, and Randy this question. I've asked this question to seasoned musicians in the past, and they've given me a, a variety of answers. But just in your opinion, what makes a song great? And and you guys play some of those songs, the things we do for love, uh, Pure Prairie League, Amy, right? Uh, the Monkees, Another Pleasant Valley Sunday. I know they get a lot of negative reaction, but that's a great song. And I think back, I was l- recently listening to some old Al Stewart, The Year of the Cat. And some of the songs on that album, just to an untrained ear like me, are just phenomenal. They're different. They're unique. Uh, and these are songs I, I remember since a child. And I guess my question to you musicians uh, is, what makes a song great, just in your opinion? Well, I think that every person has uh, an attraction to, you know, music of some sort. And it's, it's, it's you know, for, for a songwriter, musician, composer... You know that's a that's a very uh, deep and long pondered question because when you're sitting and writing a song, you think, well, what's going to make this a good song? What, why are people going to like this song? What is? How do you you know exactly when you sit down to write a song? How do you write a good song? And a lot of the times, you just have to let what comes out naturally happen. And I think that you can get caught up overthinking the songs you're writing um, or the music you're writing. Uh, the more I've observed about a lot of the material that we do, so it's just guys that got together and played, they, they worked out their parts. There wasn't any grand mystery to it. It's just, that's what kind of musicianship came together because it was a day and age when musicianship, you know, wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it, it was unfettered by technology still. Mm-hmm. And in that respect, it's still truly organic and pure as an art form. So, well, you know, amazing quality, answer. Uh, go ahead, yeah, Randy. I'm quality, sorry. Quality of songwriting. You know, there's good songs, but the production, I think, has ruined a lot of what made some of those songs so charming. The the production got too too clean, just like just like Batman. You know, would you rather watch Batman from the '60s and Adam West and Burt Ward, or are you going to watch like you know the the newer ones? Uh, you know, with the the Dark Knight trilogy, which is so much realism and so much intensity, it's just not the same thing. There was something just ridiculous and charming about the '60s Batman. It did. They, it wasn't rocket science. You know. And um, I think there's something to be said for the innocence of, the, of that kind of creation. And, and it was real big in the late 60s and throughout the 70s. And I think in the 80s, it translated, but it translated, in, you know, into the rise of technology, which sort of nobody really saw it coming to completely take over the way that it did. 
Well, I'm sure those who probably saw it coming, but um, we let it happen. Yeah. So. And, and a follow-up question to that, Randy, is um, I, I love to listen to the singer-songwriters of the late 60s, 70s. It's something unique about, I guess, their writing style and the way they played and the way they sang. And, and I, I think going on off of what you just said, there's not a lot of production over it, I guess, is, is, are my words there, if that makes sense. It's not overly produced. Um, it, my question is, how come we don't see that today, or we, we, we're just not exposed to that type of music anymore? No, I don't think you realize when people are doing that. Uh, I, I bet you if you were to sit in the studio with the Foo Fighters, you know, uh, they pretty much arrived there this, the, organically the same way. Um, there's a lot of bands that do, but the quality of the production they're capable of still makes it sound like, you know, more modern than, than what they had back in the day. It was so organic in the, in the, in the day because it was all going down to tape and you can't, you know, with, with modern technology, you can go over stuff and over stuff, fix stuff. And I mean, there's no degradation. You can build your masterpiece in, in a complete digital framework. When it was audio, you're putting it on a tape and you had to be careful, you know, how you were hitting the tape. And, and if you really wanted this piece, like Get Back is a great example where they had done most of the album cut in the studio. And then they took maybe the last uh, quarter of the song was from one of the rooftop performances. And, and they had to splice the tape together to get it. You know, it was a very ancient way to do it. But. You know, it's like baking a cake. You throw a lot of ingredients in there, and by the time you're done mixing it, it's watercolor. In the digital domain, everything's preserved and isolated right down to, you know, the track. In analog, it was painting with watercolors. It was cooking, you know, it was cooking with gas. You had to just, you had to know what you were doing. And uh, you'd capture magic. You'd have to capture magic, basically. And it wasn't so magical if you ask the people who did it. I've had answers like, oh, we just did three takes and that was the best one. You know, that kind of that kind of response. And that was their mentality. They didn't have a, a unlimited amount of time, most bands. They had to get in and do it. So they'd go out on tour and perfect their songs on stage in front of an audience and then go into a studio and organically play, play it a few times and then you know, they could splice the tape if they liked part of one song better than the other. Uh, but yeah, that's that was just that's made for a completely different uh, sound and feeling in in the music that's recorded. But much music still very much like that classical music is when symphonies record. So it's not. No, it's it obvious. Has, what, go ahead. No, I'm good. Yeah, I, well, I was just going to say it's obvious with you and the Neil Morse band. Uh, you guys are phenomenally talented, and uh, you could, you know, you can certainly do it without without all of the overproduction. So, um, thank you guys so much for that. But uh, Pamela, I'm curious. Um, I love to learn retrospectives. I learned to I love to go down roads of where people came from. And I think on your website, you've got an image of Randy as a young boy playing a guitar, possibly, or may, may have been a bass. I'm not sure. But you've also got a guitar, I believe, Pamela, in your hands from when you were very young. 
How did you first get interested in music? <laughs> well, when I was 12, I, I grew up in Fullerton, California, and I wanted to play the drums. And um, But my friend, my best friend, Katie, beat me to it, and she got a drum set before I did. So, okay, we can play together. I'll get a guitar, you know. So I had my sister's old, I think it was a Suzuki, some really cheap acoustic guitar, the kind that you couldn't tune at all, even if you knew how to tune it. <laughs> so, um, you know, I suffered through that, took a couple of lessons. And then for Christmas, I got a Fender Music Master guitar, which is a very low-end beginner Fender. And that was my first electric guitar. And Randy's first bass was a Fender Music Master bass. So he grew up in Colorado. I grew up in California. But we both have pictures of when we were 12 years old with our Music Masters, which wow. <laughs> is pretty cool. <laughs> So, uh, Pamela, what were some of your early music influences growing up? Uh, when I was a very little girl, um, very little, riding a tricycle, I took all of my sister's records and made a path along the patio with them. I, and I rode my, my tricycle around the records, and she had a fit. And my mom bought my sister new records, and I inherited all the records I rode over with my tricycle. I had a little oh, record player, and I could only, when I got old enough to kind of be into music and, you know, put a record on a record player and put the needle down, I ended up with all these records that you could only play one side of. The Beatles, The Monkees, um, Jim Croce, all kinds of good albums, but I only knew one side. So that was my first exposure to music and then at growing up um i went through uh you know led zeppelin kind of phase and then the first record album i ever bought on my own i rode my bike down to the record box or the music box on chapman avenue in fullerton and uh i got fragile by yes and since that day i was a huge yes fan and um loved progressive rock and uh all goes from there. Then from progressive rock, I learned to explore classical music and uh, entered into that world. You, you mentioned something interesting that one of your first albums was Yes and uh, dealing with progressive rock, Pamela. And I'm curious, this is a question I've got. I remember, I think it was 2008, I was at a Rush concert in Virginia Beach, Virginia in the at the amphitheater. And I could look around me in my near proximity from what I could see at the time. And there were maybe only two or three ladies. It seemed like in the entire audience. So my question is, I've always wondered this. Why don't uh, the ladies like progressive rock for the most part? That's a really good question. And I'm still trying to think of the answer to it. Cause I had a lot of friends who loved progressive rock, which was kind of in my circle. We'd go to the concerts um, and it was great because you'd have to use the restroom. There's nobody there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at a frog concert when you're a lady. And um, I don't know. I just don't know the answer to that. I think it's maybe the longer song forms, the out there lyrics. But uh, when it concerns bands like Yes, I most of the people in my circle love Yes. So I'm not really sure about that. Um, that's a one of those questions that might never get answered. 
Do you have any ideas on that, Randy, that question? Well, you know, in the Neil Morris band, yeah, it started out very much the, the just, you know, primarily males in the audience. Um, I think as the Neil Morris band started doing records and over those the four albums that we've done in the time we've been together, um, we have seen a large increase in the amount of uh, women coming to the concert. Mm. And I think it's just something about the probably the, the Beatlesque pop aspect yeah. of the music that, that they latch on to. Um, and maybe Eric Gillette, so that's entirely possible as well. <laughs> you know, and cute and the rest of us are kind of just old and hairy and bald or whatever. So, you know, it's uh, it's interesting to see. And, and it's different in other countries. You know, South America, uh, there was many, many more females in the audience with their boyfriends and, mm-hmm. and enjoying it uh, than in most places. And in Germany and uh, in uh, a lot of places in Europe, it's starting to change. I think it's a matter of finding, you know, songs that they, they can grasp. The problem with a lot of progressive music is it gets trite and always sounds spooky. It's a little too compli- complicated. The thing about the Neil Morris band is, despite the fact that it's become a hard rock cinematic soundtrack, it's still fairly accessible. That may have something to do with it. Um, that's about the only thing I can think of uh, that sort of coincides with just the increase in the number of uh, female bodies in the, in the venue. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think you've got, yeah, I think you've got something there kind of the, the, with your band, the Neil Morse band, uh, kind of that Beatlesque feel to it. I, I was listening to fairly recently. I, I think one of the, your songs, the ways of a fool and my wife actually likes that song. So that's that's unusual. So songs like that that you know that you mentioned that are more Beatlesque sounding uh, has an appeal, I think, to to the to the female audience on average. And I'm not going to generalize, but I'm just speaking of the folks that I know here. So, uh, but yeah, I, th- I think you've got a point there. Um, yeah, uh, very good, very good uh, insight there. So you know, also guys, a lot of your music seems to have a south the the, the songs that you pr- produce together seems to have an Arizona feel to it or a Southwestern America feel to it. Uh, the desert song, for example, does living where you currently live and have any influence on your songs? With the desert sense, uh, with the desert song, 100%. We had just finished, uh, we moved here five years ago. We just finished getting the studio together, painted it, put foam up, hung the guitars up, got everything in and nice and, we started recording and, um, you know, we, we just fell in love with this area. We moved out here. It's just night and day from Southern California where you see a few stars to here. You go out at night and you see most of the stars. There's still some light pollution, but you see a lot more stars and a lot of nature. We have the superstition mountains right behind us. We're right near the Tonto national forest and you see what you know. So we just started with the song and um, I just started making up really nonsense syllables, you know, and those, those ended up staying, but then I just started writing about the desert 
you know what it's like. Just, you know, <laughs> the sun is going down in, into the west somewhere. But here, the skies rise and the night parades across the desert to the east. You know, it's just, um, we were just in love with this area when we wrote that song. Well, that song has kind of, I was listening to it, I've listened to it four or five times now, and it's got kind of ethereal uh, ethereal feeling to it, but it's also got a poppy sound. Mm-hmm. And it's those those two combined influences, I guess, really, really um, complement one another. So mm-hmm. I, I really, that's that's a great song. I wanted to ask about that song of the video. It's some great graphics in that as well. Uh, can you tell me who did, Randy? Did you do those graphics? Uh, did you film the video? How did how did that take place? Uh, well, um, we filmed the footage uh, here in our studio against a green screen, which basically allows uh, the editor to remove any background except for yourself. It basically removes anything that's green from the background. They use a very unnatural shade of green for that reason. Uh, and, you know, we're always wearing black or, blue, you know, dark blue or, you know, something that's going to be striking. So it's really easy to do green screen stuff. And and I used a, a guy by the name of Christian Rios to edit it because he does that. Scra- it's called scrapbooking. And it's a scrapbook effect that uh, he does that really well. And so I actually hired him to do that. Now, the other videos you saw I did, we shot those here and, and I edited them as well, like uh, Ventura Highway things we do for love except for the footage that the other guys sent me as you can tell you know the drummer had a great setup looks good the singer stuck his phone somewhere and <laughs> his head turned away from it so you know you kind of have to work with what you get sometimes but uh yeah and the neil morse band has uh, filmed a lot of our videos the same way especially over the pandemic era where we'd all have to just basically shoot our video at home and send it in. But uh, in order to do a lot of the stuff we do, you have to shoot against a green screen. So we got two green screens and sewed them together and put hooks up on one end of the studio and we can clear it and hang the green screen and shoot video. And and uh, so that's how, that's kind of how we put that together. And then we decided we would want the, the lyrics on it as well. It's called a lyric video. Same thing we did for the ways of a fool and vanity fair where there, there's images of the band in it, but it's mostly the scrapbooking effect or you know, something similar. Well, he, he did an amazing job on that uh, Desert Song video. I was very impressed.
So let's go on to the next song that you guys have done together. It's called Expecting Father. I think you guys are doing an instrumental, uh, just you and two guitars on this one. Is that correct? Uh, tell me about Expecting Father. Randy, is this one of your older songs? It's from my first solo album, In the Light of the King's Countenance. And when I recorded that, um, there was a violin and cello doing the, the doing parts. Melody parts. Uh, when we started uh, putting together stuff in the beginning um, to play down in Superior, we thought, well, we could learn some of the stuff off my first solo album because it's a lot of acoustic guitar stuff. And she could just, you know, learn the various melodies, whether it was the, originally a violin or originally a, an oboe or, or what have you. And she would sort of learn the other parts. And then we do it just with two guitars, and it, it had a really nice sound to it. It really worked worked out well. So we wanted to shoot a video of one of them. And, uh, that's that's where that came from. That album came out in two thousand four. Okay, yeah. So so you guys have amazing coordination on that song. It's it's a very lovely uh, instrumental song, right. and we'll. The, uh, the viewers will be able to see that, and the listeners will be able to hear it as well on, on the podcasts.
So another song that you guys have done together, it's None Became the Despot. Tell me, what's the inspiration for this song? Well, a few years ago, um, as we do, I don't know why I always do this last minute, but we, you know, right before Christmas, we'll, we'll sit there and it'll be like, we should record something, a video for Christmas, just like a Christmas video, something that's short that just says Merry Christmas or, you know what I mean? To, something that just reflects the spirit spirit of Christmas and I put together what was really essentially the intro to the song and, and then it just ended there mm -hmm. and we put lyrics it's really on. short so it just just had those first two verses before the drums enter and then it it just kind of ended and uh, we threw that up there as sort of a Christmas thing yeah, it's like and it stayed up there for for a couple of years Christmas and, then, uh, and then basically one year we decided well let's you know, let's, I'm, I'm going to try to flesh this song out a little more. Let's make a song out of it. And uh, so we just started working on it together. She had lyrical ideas for it. And I started working on the musical arrangement. And uh, and that's what we came up with. That That is a video that I edited here. We shot and edited that here ourselves. But... Um, Except for the drum. I love now. Did you guys coordinate on the lyrics, or did was that mainly Randy or Pamela writing those lyrics, or did you just combine your ideas and put them together? I but, think it was. I wrote. Well, none became the despot. Was primarily Pam's ideas. I don't think I. Uh, I don't think I had much input on those lyrics. They they were you know pretty much just what you hear. So, I um, other songs we collaborated a lot like the calico man and the desert song we collaborated on lyrics a little bit on teacher as well um teacher. so uh this was one that she just had these ideas and i just let her do it and mm -hmm. uh just put it together well i i love the lyrics i i read through the lyrics and i i love lyrics that make you think and, and certainly it's a spiritual meaning behind the lyrics and it reminds me of a lot of the, the uh, Chronicles of Narnia, for example, a lot of the C.S. Lewis writings that if you're looking for something spiritual, you can find it. If you're just yeah. looking for a, a good novel, that's fine. If you're just looking for a good movie, that's fine. But if you dig into these lyrics, you can see something deeper. And I really love that. It's something that makes me think, you know, I really it, I love to dig deeper into lyrics. Uh, so I, I uh, props for that. And, and thank you guys for those those lyrics. Um, now you, Randy, you mentioned Jason Gianni. Is that how to pronounce his name? Uh, right. He was, he played drums on this song. Did he not? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And then it was mixed by Jerry Guidras, who does all the, uh, work with the Neil Morse band. He does all, all our tracking on all our albums and he's mixed a number of albums for us as well. Um, and so he, uh, I had him do the mix and otherwise, it was just uh, Jason on drums and Pam and I. Well, I have to tell you, uh, this is probably one of my favorites. It sounds like something from a Disney movie. It, it, it sounds something grand and extra extravagant. Uh, so this this is an amazing song. Again, it sounds like a Disney movie um, song to me. So uh, amazing song. And, and again, the title of it is None Became the Despot. Shepherd 
So we'll go on from that song to, I think you mentioned a few minutes ago, Randy, Calico Man. Uh, explain to me, what's this song about? Just Does it have a meaning? Does it uh, Is it kind of general in its meaning? Just tell me a little bit about this song, Calico Man. I'll answer this one because um, for many, many, many years, I was taking care of both of my parents. My dad had Parkinson's, um, and while he was kind of getting, you know, I was his caregiver. My mom was helping. My mom had a stroke in the middle of that. I took care of both of them. Um, took my dad all the way through home hospice. He, and then my mom, you know, after her stroke, she developed dementia and that was a 15 year long road with her until she passed away in 2016. So the Calico Man is about watching I don't, I'm not sure how to say it. It's about the degeneration and just the ultimate road to we all, we, you know, nobody stays here forever. And it's hard to watch. It's also a joyful time, you know, taking care of my, both my parents. It was a real mixed bag of emotion and everything else. So Calico Man is about basically getting very old and, um, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's a rather deep song, but it's mostly about nobody gets out of this world, and we have all have to make the choice. You're going to roll the dice, you know, which 
don't just roll the dice, make a choice. You know, it's, you need to make your life matter. And when your life is winding to an end, it's, um, it's beautiful and it's tragic at the same time. So we have this very light little song with really kind of pretty sounding with these rather dark brooding lyrics. It's a bit of a strange song, but it, it portrayed my feelings about that time. Well, I love the, I love the pauses in the song. Um, and I think the song's ever, it's, it's a, it's a good seven minutes or plus song. Is that correct? Oh yeah. <laughs> it's a long song. Yes. Well, it's definitely worth listening to. And that's a, that's a sweet story, um, behind this song. I knew there, there, there was something deeper there. I just didn't know the meaning, but, but Pamela, thank you for explaining that. And that's a, that's a touching story that unfortunately many of us can relate to. So thank you for sharing that. Sack. 
Guys, what's what's on your agenda with uh, Sweet Invention? Do you plan to make a, a record in the future? Um, do you have any plans, concrete plans for Sweet Invention? Well, you know, it's one of those things we, we started. Um, I think the future of it kind of lies in... Uh, you know, writing writing material that, that seems appropriate to it. The problem is we can do a lot of things. So we've talked about doing some acoustic guitar albums where it's more, you know, like my first solo album or something where it's a little more organic and, and uh, or we just do interesting things with acoustic arrangements and other, uh, you know, natural instruments. Um, and so I think, you know, it just really comes down to having a, having a pathway to follow for Sweet Invention. I always wanted it to be a band project, not just me doing, you know, all the instrumentation and Pam, you know, writing all the lyrics and singing and all that, which is great. We can do that. Essentially, we're putting together demos that we would want to play with a band. But in order to go forward, we would really want to record with a full band. Um, not just uh, 
piece it together the way we have. And I think it's just a matter of just feeling the inspiration for the songs. And um, then it's just a matter of sitting down and put in, putting them together. And with the many things that we have going on, sometimes it's harder to find the time to really devote to it. So I think it's season will come, but uh, you know, right now we've got a couple other focuses uh, that, that, that we're following down, you know, so. So you guys, you guys play on a regular basis. Is that correct? Just the two of you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We try to play uh, a few times a month, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, once a week or twice, sometimes twice a week. Uh, try to try to increase it as much as possible. We, we we're a little bit picky about where we play because, you know, we're in, we're in Arizona, <laughs> so you know, it's harder to find places where they want to sit and actually just listen and enjoy the music. Uh, they want to line dance a lot of times. They'll even line dance to blues, but there's a certain thing that the paying crowds like, so a lot of those venues just stick with that. So yeah, we we we're just a little more selective with the venues that we play that are a little bit more appropriate to what we do. So so otherwise we'd be playing a lot more. <laughs> but uh, if if someone wants to book you guys um, and they want you to play at their event or or um, they want you to play at 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 a venue or an event, how would they get in touch? What's the best way for them to contact you? Oh, they can use the form on our website, and that has that'll get them right to us. There's also Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a Facebook page that can contact us there. Uh, we've had a few gigs where people reached out on Facebook Messenger. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I'll definitely put the links below the video um, on on YouTube, um, Spotify, Amazon, what have you. The links will be, be below the audio or the video. Uh, that Randy's website. talking about. Um, the web- I, go ahead. The website is www.mrandmrsgeorgeacoustic.com. So. Very good. Just, and I'll put that below. He's gonna- um, I, I've got a, I've got a question for you guys. I, I'm always curious with musicians, someone, folks that are as talented as you guys are, uh, if you could collaborate or play with anyone, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, and I apologize for this, but it just came into my head. If you guys could collaborate musically with anyone dead or alive, um, who would that be? Do you have anyone that you, you would love to do that with that you haven't previously? Randy? Oh, I thought you, I thought you oh. were going to answer that. <laughs> I'm still thinking. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and that's that's an on-the-spot question, forgive me, but it just came into my head. I've been asked that question more than once, and usually with the Neil Morse band, but the, the, you know, they'll ask that question of us. And, and oftentimes I just tell people, you know, uh, I can't think of any place I'd rather be than right here with these guys, you know, as far as, as, far as that goes. But 
you know, the reality is when you think about would you like to actually sit and compose or work with somebody um, that I haven't already, um, you know, it would it's easy to kind of pick somebody like Peter Gabriel or John <laughs> Anderson and say, oh, you know, it'd be fun to sit with them or, or even Ian Anderson, somebody like that, you know. Um, and I kind of have an idea of what that's like already. I'm not really... I don't really think of things that way. Like who would I most, I would just most likely, I would just most like to do something with the guy I asked to do guitar tracks. So I'm still waiting on, (laughs) please just finish my tracks. But yeah, it's, that's a tough question to answer. That's a tough question to answer. uh, What what about uh, just your opinion of, both uh, Pamela and, and Randy on the passing of, of of Jeff Beck recently in the last couple of days. It seems like we're lotting, we're losing a lot of very talented musicians as they're getting older. Some of them are younger. Um, but uh, did did Jeff Beck play an influence on on either of you with with his style? Yeah, um, I mean, how could he not? He's just amazing, and. Um, I I used to study with um, a man named Joe Jewell, who has a doctorate in uh, jazz guitar. And the, I, I was at work. I came home, and I'm looking. Oh, my gosh, Jeff Beck died. And the way I saw it was from Joe posting it. And that just – because, I mean, through Joe, I learned a lot of Jeff Beck stuff. I don't know. It was just uh, – he's – got a very wide influence i don't know any musician that can get away from it i remember roina stolt saying you know you need to see do you have the video jeff beck live at um uh, ronnie scott's is that it oh yeah maybe. yeah um so you know roina stolt gave me stuff to check out by jeff beck and hey that's great you know so i mean i don't know any musician who's not touched in some way by Jeff Beck and in, in the circles we're friends with that we know he's had a huge influence on every single musician that I can think of. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the response to every, in every band when, so it's can hey, play a rock groove, man. It's playing, you know, rock groove, you know, and you play lead boots because mm-hmm. lead boots was like, the it's it's like the the vowels of musical yeah. vocabulary. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that you almost can't make a word without some semblance to that. At least yeah. you know in rock and blues. But um, yeah, he he had so many particular voices in his day that I think really stuck as standard building materials. You know. So yeah, I mean, uh, I don't see how you could not be influenced by Jeff Beck to some degree if, if you actually ever listen to him. There are plenty of people in the world who probably never listened to him and really wouldn't know what you were talking about. So, But then they probably like somebody I've never heard of either, so it goes both ways. But yeah, you're right. You know, I, I kind of gauge what kind of legacy somebody's left behind by the amount of love, that you know, the outpouring of love for them when they pass. Mm-hmm. And Everybody, you know, when everybody posts, uh, probably three of the biggest outpourings of rock musician passings over the last few years was 
Neil Peart, uh, Alan White, which was delightful to see because he was a dear friend. And I think a lot of people should, a lot more people should know who he is. They've heard him, but they might not know that name. Um, but the outpouring of love for him in his passing was, was just phenomenal. And I'm seeing the same thing with Jeff Beck, and that's it's just a beautiful thing. You just know, you know, how many people he's touched, and you can see that. And you know, in the, in the face of other people, who's really sad to see them pass, like Lisa Marie Presley, who passed right right after Jeff. But you know, they'll show her on the news. They'll do a news story about her passing. You'll hear no mention of Jeff Beck in the news. You know, it's just it's a weird it's a weird world that way. Well, very, very thoughtful and um, complimentary words, um, uh, Pamela and Randy, about Jeff Beck. Um, Just a couple of final questions, guys. I know there are always young creatives uh, that look to older musicians that have been established in the field, or not necessarily musicians, but all kinds of artists, painters, um, graphic designers, things like that, fields like that. how would you encourage, and I want to ask both of you this question, and I want to, Pamela, let's start with the young creative that happens to be a young woman, a young a young lady. How would you encourage um, young women to get into the field? Because you're, you're obviously an accomplished guitarist. You don't see that a lot. How would you encourage a young lady who wants to be a guitarist, for example? Uh, how would you encourage that person? Well, from my own uh, personal journey, you just got to keep pushing on, especially when I started playing. I was the only girl electric guitarist around. Um, And as I got better and older, I'd get offers. Hey, you know, we've got this all girl band and we're doing a lot of stuff. Will you join it? I'm like, well, I'm honored. You know, thank you for asking me, but I'm I'm playing in this power tree. (laughs) You know, I, I have my own music going on and I kind of had a thing where I wasn't, didn't want to get sequestered with in that way. So I made sure I, you know, mostly playing with, um, with guys that really could play, um, nothing against the ladies, but it was just kind of, I'm like, that's, that's great. And thank you. But, you know, I want to go deeper here. So just keep pushing on, keep, uh, exploring, widen your ears. Don't get caught up into fads. Um, you know, you're going to put up with a lot of stuff. Um, you know, it was hard. It was not, uh, sometimes you'd have, I'd have guys just like saying terrible things when I'm playing just cause I'm a girl with a guitar. Most of the time, not. Um, and I have another, uh, a fellow in, professor that I studied with and she had a heck of a time as a woman composer breaking into the field and she just had to keep pushing through. Uh, there's, a, you know, a lot of, uh, bad stuff that can go on. Um, prejudices, uh, I don't know. You just got to keep being you and you just have to keep going and you just have to push on and it's not the easiest thing, but you just do it because you love music. And if you didn't, um, you'd never know what you're capable of. Pretty wise words. You just keep doing it because you love it. Mm-hmm. What about you, Randy, for the young creative out there uh, that may be um, going in, wanting to go into the music field? How would you encourage him or her uh, 
to keep doing that. Make sure you get an education in something that you can make money at. Oh, no. And then spend all your spare time practicing as much as possible. Um, I don't know. It, you know, it's hard to encourage young people into a field that's been so ravaged the way it has. Um, but really, when it boils down to it, it hasn't changed, not since the late 60s. Here we are in 2023. Hasn't changed. When you catch the bug, you just want to get out there and express yourself, and it's just raw emotion, raw energy. Doesn't even matter whether you're a great player. You know, people will just go for it. They, the people who who really want it, will go for it. And if you're timid or hesitant, chances are you're always going to be timid and hesitant. You have to find ways to push past anything that might, you know, keep you down, but you have to practice and learn your craft, find out what you want to do and learn it. Well, you know, learn your craft, practice, get, get a teacher, not, 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 not necessarily the kind of teacher you might envision, but find somebody who does what you do that teaches lessons. If, if that's what you want to do, find somebody who does it and let them help you build some fundamentals. But no illusions about <laughs> making a lot of money playing music these days. It's just, it's even, even the big artists are a bit hesitant to do things that they know they're not going to make near as much money as they used to, which is a sad state of affairs all the way around. So I don't want to see, you know, I don't want to tell you, but don't bother. Uh, I think you just got to follow your passions. That's, that's, that's the main thing, but but be smart about it. Practice smart and live smart. And have a good day job. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. You'll, you'll, you'll need it. Trust me. You'll need it. If you want to be a good musician, really want to be a good musician, you got to be able to afford to buy gear. Yeah. You got to have reliable transportation and you got to have your sound together and you have to be able to adapt situations. You may show up and find that you need to buy a piece of gear that you weren't counting on having to buy, but you know it's going to make your gig that much better. It just helps to have a means to launch yourself from. Yeah. Something that you can always fall back on because you'll be a lot happier when you do go to play music because it won't be about you know, feeling so desperate and on the edge. But a lot of people were desperate and on the edge, and that's how they got to where they are because they went out and took a chance. But that was a more innocent world in those days. Nowadays, there's there are dime a dozen. There's so many people out there that are good at what they do, mm -hmm. um, and you'll all, you'll never be the best at anything. There's always somebody who's going to be a little bit better than you at, at whatever you do. There's always going to be somebody who's just better in general because it's just natural for them to do what they do. And, uh, but on the same token, nobody else can be you either. You might be the one that brings something just like Jeff Beck. He brought something that people tried to copy for years, but they couldn't. And, uh, and I guarantee he didn't think much about it. He just wanted to play guitar. He wasn't out there thinking, oh, I'm going to get rich and famous or I've got to be the best because there's so many better. They, they just took what they did and they went out and hung it out there for better or for worse. 
So that's, that's how most of those guys got started back in the day. Words of wisdom. Yeah, Thank you for changed. that. And one last question, Ed, to Randy. Um, for the guys that you played with for the past 18 or so years, any any plans on the horizon? Uh, yeah, well, you know, um, you know, we, we're, we're going to move forward. It's, I hate to bust your uh, bust your your facts there, but it's this year. It's actually twenty. Oh, it's wow! Eighth anniversary. So we are planning to do something uh, in the live uh, in the live arena, and we have been talking about uh, trying to find a stretch of time, you know, to possibly start working on the next album. Um, you know, all that's been bandied about a little bit. Uh, nothing solid as of yet, but um, but there will be some things happening this year with the new Mars band. It'll probably be later in the year, middle, you know, later in the summer, possibly. Um, maybe even in the fall uh, before we actually, you know, get into the studio or anything. But we're discussing it, so we'll, we'll see. Well, it's good that that is a strong possibility. And um, Randy and Pamela George, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on and talking about your music and your future plans. And again, Randy and Pamela George with the band Sweet Invention. Uh, I, I, I encourage you to click on the links below the video. Check out what they do. It's amazing. But Randy and Pamela, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Tony. Thank you so much, Tony. Thanks we for appreciate having us. Appreciate Absolutely. You. And I'm just going to ask you to hang on for just a couple of minutes at the conclusion of the program. But uh, again, Randy and Pamela George with the band Sweet Invention. And until next time.